Hey, before we get into the episode, I want to make sure you guys have the chance to register for free for Starting Small Summit 2024. We have a very exciting panel this year with the founder of ButcherBox, Safa Mattresses, and online creator Lexi Hensler, the founder of Hugs. Registration is completely free and you can find more on our website or ideaweek.com and I hope you guys enjoy the episode. Hello and thank you for tuning in to Starting Small, a podcast about brand development, entrepreneurship, and innovation in the modern world. In this episode, I'm joined by Shelly Young of The Chopping Block, Chicago's premier school for home cooks, offering intimate, interactive cooking classes daily in their state-of-the-art kitchens. So whether a date night or a team bonding outing with your company, The Chopping Block is such a cool way to work together. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Starting Small. Today, I'm joined by Shelly Young of The Chopping Block. Shelly, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Cameron. Appreciate it. Yeah, of course. So I'd like to start out with your upbringing. Uh, where did you grow up and what would you say your childhood was like? You know, I grew up uh, in a small town in Iowa, Fort Dodge, mm. and uh, right in the smack dab in the middle of Iowa. So I'm about as Midwestern <laughs> as you can get. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> you know, I grew up, um, I think some of the, the most important things that formed who I am is that um, we grew up on a homestead. So, um, we basically grew everything that we ate. Yeah. Um, and, um, we prepared, you know, canned, put up beans, shucked cherries, you know, went up the hill and killed the chickens for, and got the eggs from the neighbor, you know, and this is what we ate. And, um, it was a very intimate environment to grow up in. You know, I used to sell sweet corn on the street corners. Wow. When I was like five years old, my mom would load, I'm the youngest of four kids, and my mom would load all four of us up in the back of the pickup truck <laughs> with bags of sweet corn. And she'd drop me off on one corner and then my brother on the next and my other brother on the next and then my sister. And then she'd come back and she'd load me up with more corn. <laughs> I sold a lot of corn. Yeah. Being five years old and crying and scared. But um, uh, so as I got older, you know, I mentioned to my mother at one point, I got really interested in, in preserving and canning and and um, that whole process, and which we did until I was about seven, until we moved into town. Mm. And I asked, I was asking my mother a lot of questions about that. And she said, why are you interested in all of this? And I said, well, you know, I just think it's really um, fascinating. It's a, it's a great way to connect with the earth. What, I'm trying to understand what of these things really make a difference, mm. you know? Um, and I said, you know, people romanticize about this now. Oh, they have a name for it. They call it homesteading, mom. Yeah. And she said, well, we just call it being poor. <laughs> so she said, I don't understand why you want to do that. But then over time, she got uh, she got really excited about what I was doing and uh, interested in it. So interesting. Um, Very yeah. Cool. So, yeah, growing up before we get into I know you did go to culinary school, but um, did this ignite your passion for cooking and culinary was just growing up in the yeah. farm and getting your own ingredients? Yeah. What was that? How did that passion develop? Oh, absolutely. You know, I think part of it was that. Um, I was the youngest of four. As I mentioned, we lived out on an acreage. There were children around to play with. Yeah. Uh, my sister's seven years older than me and then my two brothers. And they none of them were in, really that interested in me. 
<laughs> so when we had to pit the cherries and snap the beans and shuck the peas, they all had to be with me. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I, they, they had to pay attention to me. So to me, food has always been something that brought people together. Mm. Um, and so uh, I think that uh, that was a lot of what got me really interested at a young age. And then I prepared all the meals for my family by the time I was 11. Wow. And even before that, my mother, when we moved into town and we were going to the regular grocery store, entrusted me. Um, well, it, when I was five, she would take me to, if we would go to the grocery store, before I would count and before we had a calculator, Yeah, they had these things that were little red clickers and they would add, you could just only add in, <laughs> with them. And my mom would put me in the cart because we had very little money. And so she would tell me, and I would count the money. And I knew when we, she said, tell me when we're at this point. And, you know, um, mm. so that I, she would pace the rest of her shopping. Yeah. And we would get to the checkout line. And, and I remember being in the cart and I would see all the candy in the aisles. And I would mm. try to look straight ahead. Because I didn't want my mom to see me look at that candy because I knew we didn't have any more money. Yeah. And so to me, there was a lot of influences there. You know, um, she helped. She, but then she let me buy all the groceries when it was time, when I was like 10 years old. Wow. And I planned a, a budget, which we had very little money. Yeah. And she trusted me to do that. And so how it made me um, as a leader really informed me as a leader was that uh, my mom never treated me like a baby. She treated me like a vital person in the organization of our home. Yeah. And it, I treat people like that and I like to, you know, be that, but it really was a very empowering way to grow up. Yeah. You know? Yeah, definitely. As you entered like your teen years, how did work look like for you? So you, I mean, you developed strong work ethic early, but pre-college and yeah. high school, what did that look like for you? Well, we all had to start working when we were 11. Yeah. And wow. so, and I think uh, Iowa child labor laws were a little bit lax, <laughs> but we would do, uh, I had two paper routes, okay. one in the morning and one after school. And then we would do tassel corn in the summer to buy clothing and uh, whatever. My mom, they provided our basic needs, but anything above that, then we had to buy that. And we yeah. knew exactly. Mother was really clear about what we was provided and what wasn't. And so that you knew, and then you you know, you would work. And then I started working in restaurants when I was 14. Mm. So, uh, uh, you know, I've been working for a long time. Yeah. yeah, incredible. So I saw you then eventually went on to the Iowa Culinary Institute. Yeah, um, what what led you to, to go that route? Um, and what, what was the traditional route at that time for like some of your peers? And what were they doing? And what led you to go this route? Uh, so when I was 11, yeah, uh, you know, one of the things that, uh, you know, like my perspective on the life is, is a very long range. Mm. <laughs> I have a, 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 I don't know if it's just a strategic mind or I think very long term and I have a vision for things. And so when I was 11, I, I was deciding what career I was going to have. Mm. And so I really wanted to be an artist but I didn't like the idea of doing what people wanted me to do, to be an artist. And it seemed I couldn't figure out how else you could how you could make money or a living. Yeah. So it wasn't I didn't want to do that. And then I wanted to be an interior designer. 
Okay. But I was in Fort Dodge, Iowa. I didn't really know what that was, or I would never seen anything that had been interior designed. <laughs> you know, it was so foreign to me. I think I, I didn't really understand that. But cooking, people love mm. when you cook for them. It's, yeah. you know, it's a really great career, you know, to be able to make people happy over and over and over again. Yeah. Um, so I decided I would cook and then I would have become an entrepreneur. And then when I was in my mid forties, then I'd have a successful business and then I could start making art and I'd live in the country and I'd start making my own art mm. and, um, which is almost exactly what has happened because yeah. now I live in Michigan in the country and built a whole studio. Wow. And my wife is an artist and our oh. life is full of creative art wow. projects and things like that. So it's really, really kind of neat. But wow. um, that was kind of the trajectory. But when I picked school, yeah. um, I had already worked in the industry for quite some, for quite a few years mm -hmm. and there weren't a lot of cooking schools then. You yeah. know, this was not a cool thing to do, yeah. be a chef at the time. You know, it was people who didn't really cope with society very well would go work in the kitchen you know, yeah. when I was starting out. <laughs> but the Iowa Culinary Institute, I was the second year of that program. That program had just opened, so I was very thankful for it because at the time, I got a $500 scholarship from my high school mm. for, for culinary school. Okay. And this program was $6,000. The the only other school that I knew of at the time was the Culinary Institute of America, which at the time, this was 40 years ago, yeah. was $30,000. Wow. And I knew what the industry paid. And I thought, there's no way that I can afford wow. that kind of loan. So I yeah. took the practical approach and had an excellent education and a really rewarding experience wow. at the school. And uh, I spoke at my dean's retirement just about three years ago. Awesome. He, he, he did that for I don't know, almost 50 years. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. So looking at graduation, I, I know chopping block comes really pretty early in your career, but looking at um, right at graduation, what did that look like for you, that next step in your journey? Did you go to a restaurant? Mm -hmm. What was that? Well, since I had started working in restaurants when I was 14, I had yeah. already been in the industry yeah. um, 17 years before I opened the chopping block, wow. uh, working in restaurants in different capacities. Yeah. But um, I... Uh, Got a job. Um, I had a few different jobs, you know, in Iowa, where I was from. Mm -hmm. Ended up moving to San Diego. Um, there, I got, wanted to uh, work both. I wanted to work for a larger corporation to get mm. some experience um, with more of a corporate restaurant environment. And then I worked at some smaller restaurants as well and got to have a taste of California living, which was fantastic. Yeah. And, uh, it's a very long story how to end up in Chicago, but I did and opened the chopping block while I had two full-time jobs. Wow. Um, so I was a full-time private chef and a full-time chef as a, a restaurant chef. And I did that mostly because I, I just wanted, I was drawn to the, whatever it was that I was doing and I couldn't say no. I, I didn't, wasn't working two jobs out of necessity. Yeah. Um. And uh, I was trying to get my parents to open an antique store in Chicago. They had one in Iowa, and mm -hmm. I was looking for a location for them. And they were kept telling me they weren't interested. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> so I found a location, started negotiating the lease. They um, still said no, and I said, "Fine, I'll do something." So that's I opened the chopping block. Wow! In, in that building. 
And yeah, and looking at the timeline, this is around like 1997. Is that correct? In the founding? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Incredible. yeah. I was 96 where I, I uh, started working on the business. We opened in 97. Awesome. And I, I'm sure you guys have transformed. I know you've transformed through the years. But what did that first founding look like? What did you envision and want the chopping block to be at start? And was it just you teaching intimate classes? What was that? Uh, no, uh, I, since I was trying to get my parents to open an antique store, I thought I'll do a culinary antiquity store <laughs> that last that I did, I did didn't last very long. Yeah. <laughs> it was a, a particularly lucrative idea, but I, um, ultimately did have antiques when we started mm. and, um, and, uh, we had the classes and I added the classes, um, before we ever opened, I thought that would be a really interesting idea. And, um, instantly th- those took off. Um, yeah. we, we hired, hired a publicist right out of the gate, which is a really smart move. Our business has always been very prime for publicity. Mm. Um, so we've done very little advertising over the year, mostly, uh, really, um, a lot of marketing yeah. um, and PR. And, um, that's been very successful because we have a lot of stories to tell. Yeah. Um, our, cause our business evolves almost every month for sure. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So looking at, um, kind of the growth from the antique, uh, culinary side, what, what next step was from there in the journey? So say like early two thousands, what was the state of the chopping block? What did the business look like? We, um, opened our original location, as I said, in 97. Yeah. Um, and I did that with a small loan that my private chef client, um, I didn't intend to, to, lend it to them but or borrow the money from them but they ended up lending it to me which i was very thankful for and mm-hmm. i had paid that back and um was looking at opening another location because we could not meet the demand of the classes yeah uh, that we were uh, that uh, uh we had waiting lists three times the size of the classes mm. And uh, I had been hiring chefs and filling every time slot we could possibly fill. And so I had started looking for, for other locations. And um, that's, I looked out in this, I started looking out in the suburbs because a lot of people were, were contacting us about that. And ultimately I decided to not go that route because the demand was already in the city. Yeah. So I thought that was kind of a bad idea. And uh, it's, the staffing is difficult enough in the city. I thought that the, uh, the suburbs would be more challenging as well. So then we looked yeah. within the city. Ultimately, I found a building, or I kept looking at real estate, couldn't find what I was looking for. And so I kept um, firing my real estate agents because I felt like they were not listening to what I was saying. <laughs> and I finally found an agent who I said, you know, I, I want you to be able to knock on doors. Mm. If there's a building I'm interested in, which is ultimately what happened when we opened our second location in yeah. Lincoln Square is I had him contact the owner of a building to see if they would sell it. Interesting. And um, he he really liked our business concept. He had already leased it to someone else, um, but he sold it to me. And not only did he sell it to me, because I didn't really have any money to buy the building. Yeah. I talked him into financing the down payment on the building. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That he wasn't selling. Wow. <laughs> and he did. So I was able to buy the building from him and uh, open the, the second location, which was a really, a, the second location was a real challenge to get open, get the financing for. Yeah. Yeah. And I'd love to dive into that a little bit. What, and, and what kind yep. of challenges, how did that face and how did you overcome some of those? 
Well, I think some of the biggest parts was, you know, we had waiting lists, which we could prove to banks yeah. three times the size of our classes, but they weren't. Con- and so my thought was if we could open a facility where we could double the amount of classes that we offered without doubling the overhead, it's kind of a win-win because mm. we were already profitable, but the banks weren't seeing that. Yeah. They weren't buying this scenario at all. Yeah. And so it, we were going through bank after bank after bank and, um, Finally, uh, someone suggested I talk to the Women's Business um, Administration Mm. in Chicago, which I did. And they said, talk to this lender, which was at the time South Shore Bank. They said, they're they're innovative. I think they have an appetite for what you're doing. And ultimately, that was they financed the deal. Um, Then building out that location was a whole set of challenges because we had a a, um, crooked building inspector mm. who would not sign off on the work mm. and wanted uh, some, a bribe and I wouldn't give it to him. <laughs> and so he was, I was fighting with him for about six months and he kept throwing up obstacles and I kept going and going around him and, and, you know, solving those issues. And, um, but it, it made our, our time overrun really extend. And so I was mm. running out of money. So by the time we got open, it was, or by the time we finally got signed off, it took us nine months to have them sign off on our rough in. Wow. We went from being, from nine months of getting, sitting there to being open in one month. We had no, we had no floors. We had no drywall. We had no insulation. All we had was the, you know, the electrical, the plumbing and everything. We went from, from that to being open in 30 days. Wow. Building out all the kitchens, all the walls, all the floor. And that required, you know, just staying overnight. I put the insulation in myself. (laughs) It's incredible. (laughs) Everything we could do, we did. And uh, it was fantastic. So Yeah. yeah, launching say like the chopping block from scratch like this, you just finished the building. What does that build out look like to be able to then host a class? I mean, you're sourcing ingredients. What, what was that for you? Well, the, you know, the, the sourcing of the class, you know, every, every expansion, you know, came with a whole set of issues because yeah. the, this, this, that we had before it didn't work in the next. Yeah. Uh, so, um, but that particular location, what we did was we had built too big of a staff too big of a compensation structure and all of those things, thinking all the business would come in double. Mm. Well, it didn't work that way. So yeah. when we opened, we were not meeting our numbers. Um, and um, the business started to decline in our uh, original location a little bit. So we were really strapped for cash at yeah. that time. Um, and so it affected all of the decisions that we were making. And I didn't have a good cash flow management system at the time. That was really my biggest lesson at that time Yeah, um, was really learning how to manage the cash flow. And so I had employees. What I did is I went to the employees and I asked for the help, their help and their wow. ideas. And uh, we, I've always been very open book and uh, I very much um, – engage the employees and solutions. And I went to them and I said, what can we do? This is a situation we're, we're in. They came back and they all proposed different um, compensation changes to their own salaries, wow. Wow. Um, to their own duties and structures. And we were able to solve that situation together. That's amazing. I mean, that's a huge, uh, I mean, loyal 
founding team you kind of had there. And I'm curious, like today, like how does that have, how has that built your culture? I mean, that's an amazing staff you had at that time. Are some of them remaining? Like, yeah, that's th- there are. Yeah. Uh, uh, one of them uh, worked with me for 17 years. She left about in 2019, the end of 2019. Mm-hmm. But uh, two of the employees are still here. Yeah. Um, at this at this point, who helped to solve that problem? Yeah, incredible. Yeah, looking at uh, like the chopping blocks, um, prime demographic of like people who come in. What what do you see that being, especially starting from the front and early two thousands, late nineties, and has that shifted at all? Like your primary customer, what does that look like? I would say so. Yeah, our, so our original location was in Lincoln Park. Yeah, and our prime our demographic at that point was mostly mid twenties to mid thirties. Um, young women, okay, uh, married, um, living in Lincoln Park. Yeah, uh, about fifty percent of our business was that I would say. Yeah. Um, but we were drawing from out of state, even at that point. Mm. Uh, people were driving a lot because not a lot of people have a business that we a business like ours. Yeah. So the pe- people do travel to come. Then when we opened our second location, it shifted. Um, because we were tapping into a new neighborhood. So we definitely tapped into the new neighborhood. And these were more young professionals. Mm. Um, And when we opened our third location in the Merchandise Mart, um, by the time uh, we... (laughs) By the time we were hitting 2020, our demographic was mostly 40 to 55-year-old professionals that are taking the classes and very little mid-20s to mid-30s. And, of course, part of that is that we had a lot of corporate uh, entertaining that our business grew into at the Merchandise Mart. That was the biggest part of our business was corporate entertaining, corporate uh, private events. I hope you guys are enjoying this episode so far around Shelley's entrepreneurial journey. I'd like to pause and say thank you to this episode's mid-break sponsor, Heirloom. Heirloom is a physical book with an integrated video player that automatically plays your videos and photos when the cover is open. The books arrive at your home loaded with your most precious photos and videos, or you can also opt in to customize it yourself once received. So thinking of best use cases, whether it's for your loved one for Valentine's, their birthday, or even corporate gifts for your customers, surprise and delighting them with a special video is such a personal touch. It's a thoughtful, personalized gift idea that your loved ones will cherish for years to come. This is available at sendheirloom.com. Amazon, Walmart, The Paper Store, and Etsy. That's sunheirloom.com, and I hope you enjoy the rest of the episode. You mentioned uh, the pandemic there. I, I would love to get into kind of that shift and, I mean, culinary, hands-on experience. People are at home. What did that play in the Chopping Blocks business? I know you guys went virtual as well. So what did that 2020 period transition look like for you? I just want to backtrack a little bit because I have to put in the merchandise mark just a smidge. Definitely. You know, so, we, so, the, so in two. Uh, uh, oh gosh, I can't even remember what year it was. We, we moved the the Merchandise Mart location was open for 17 years, so it we closed it uh, about a year ago. Okay. Um, but when we opened that one, we moved the Lincoln Park location to the Merchandise Mart and closed Lincoln the Park. Lincoln Park location. So we just had those two locations at that time. Got it. And the Merchandise Mart uh, was you know a big facility, grew our business to the biggest busiest recreational school in the country. Mm. We did 400 to 500 classes and events a month Wow! Um, between the two locations. So it was really, you know, um, 
but a big part of the merchandise mart was corporate events. So that's, yeah. we don't, we don't do bridal showers and birthday parties and things like that. It, it, it's not really what our, not that we didn't want to, it just doesn't work. It's yeah. just not who came to us. For sure. Corporate clients are really who our corporate was. So when the pandemic hit, um, the two locations, Lincoln Park, or excuse me, Lincoln Square and the Merchandise Mart were affected very differently. Mm. The um, Because the corporate events were gone completely. Yeah. And even when uh, the event business in the country started coming back, it wasn't corporate event business. It was like people were had waited for years to get married. They were getting married. Yeah. But you know, people were not in their offices. They were not coming back. So that business was gone. So we closed the merchandise mart for, it was a year and a half that it was really basically closed Mm. entirely. Lincoln Square was doing, um, it started uh, doing virtual programming. So we started doing virtual programming out of that location. And I would shoot out of my facility in Michigan where I live. Mm -hmm. And I had another chef um, who was filming, she would shoot out of her home okay. so that we could all be separate yeah. and do programming. And so we all, we all learned a lot and it was able, it, we were able to keep everyone who wanted to be employed. We were able to keep employed, uh, during the pandemic. Yeah. And how, how was that? Um, were they doing virtual sessions as well or what did that look like? Yeah, we, we, we created pods. So, um, kind of coincidentally, one of our chefs, her husband is also a chef. So he, and she was filming out of her home. So they worked together. And then we had other chefs who would have their partners come and help film um, so that they had their pods so we didn't have to see each other. Got it. Um, And I was up in Michigan filming up here. My wife was helping me film. So we all had our own thing going on. So we could keep, keep safe. Um, uh, And, um, you know, it was a really great, interesting process to learn about teaching through a new format. Yeah. Um, I think that was one of the biggest lessons that we learned is uh, it helped to sh- us to shift our our in-person business yeah. from what we learned in our online business because I always felt like I've lived, I've led a 27-year-long focus group Yeah. because I'm right there talking to you, hearing you, listening to you. I know what people respond to, what they don't respond to, but they, I, I always say, I don't, I know what you don't know about cooking. Yeah. But when we got to go into your home mm. and see you cooking, what it was on a whole other level because I was only seeing what you were cooking in our facility where we did so much of the things for you. Yeah. Now when you're at home, I could see, we could see how overwhelming, uh, some of these things were interesting and so we were able to modify how we did things like we don't use 10 herbs in a class anymore yeah nobody wants to go and spend 40 dollars on their herbs (laughs) to go home and make the meal right (laughs) (laughs) maybe one okay (laughs) maybe two if it's parsley okay it's 30 cents okay i'll get that (laughs) so we so for us i think um it didn't really, <laughs> it helped us, you know, survive through that period, but it, it, it didn't necessarily ultimately offer additional, we thought we could grow that business, but we have not been able to do that. Yeah. So, um, but it was a really great learning lesson for us and it helped me keep my people, my customers engaged 
build some new customers and learn a lot about how to teach yeah. on another level. So we, it was a very rewarding experience for us. Yeah, certainly. I feel like a, an important aspect of the chopping block is your staff and kind of like the culture. Really, like if you, for a listener out there, if you're attending the chopping block, the experience starts with the chef who's walking you through the meal that you're going to make. So from your point of view, especially kind of in the journey, what do you look for in your staff and chefs that you bring on? Because they're a part of the entire experience for the customer. You know, it's it's been the biggest hurdle to growth for our business. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, you just can't find the kind of talent um, that you need to do this very easily, uh, yeah. which is someone who, as a chef, you know, chefs are notoriously egotistical. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> you know, to teach, you have to really care about what it is. Why, you know, why are you here, Cameron? What, what do you want to learn? Yeah. What, how do you learn? How do I, it's not about what I know as much as it is about how do I deliver it to you so that you can mm. receive it and get what it is that you came here to get. Yeah. And that's somewhat of a, has a humility to it. Mm-hmm. So, um, I've always had, you know, I have a, a lot of confidence in a I'm certainly in a person who has some ego, but I, I have a lot of humility too. And, um, yep. and I think that's essential in what we do. Mm-hmm. So finding chefs who are presentable, articulate, entertaining, mm. And no, have an in-depth knowledge because people are generally asking you a million questions about nothing to do with what you're doing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then to organize, you know, people all cooking who don't know what the heck they're doing uh, is it's hard to find that person. Yeah. So, um, but we don't skimp, mm. and I never have. Um, we have had different hiring strategies in the past and some have been successful for a while. We were hiring kind of high end chefs Mm -hmm. with really pedigree, uh, backgrounds and that didn't work very well. Yeah. Not that you can't have that and be a great instructor as well, but, um, they tended to be a little bit more like, I remember one of them (laughs) said, Oh, all you need is a cast iron skillet and a chef's night. You can cook anything. And I'm like, you know, you're, (laughs) You might not be really talking to the key to the person that you're talking to. You're not relating to them. I mean, no, <laughs> some tools are helpful in the kitchen. But, you know, I've always been an employee-driven entrepreneur because yeah. to me, when you have, especially front-facing business like ours, when you have happy employees, you treat them well, then people, the customers will want to be around them. Yeah. You know, uh, you can't you can't skip on that. You know, Certainly. and I I want to be happy at work. I want to have an environment in which the people that I work with are happy to be there. Certainly, certainly. Looking at um classes in person today. So if I were to go on the website, book a class, one of the I know you guys do various uh, menus, so you can go on there and customize and based off what you like to cook. Um, how do you manage ingredients and inventory? What does the sourcing look like for Chopping Block today? You know, it's that is not a, it, it. It is takes a skill, but it's not a very sexy part of our job. You <laughs> yeah. know, it's really how many cucumbers do I need today? Um, and I order. You know, we order from our traditional vendors. You know, you have fish vendors, purveyors, dry goods purveyors. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and uh, we just calculate, you know, our recipe, our business is interesting and it is one of the advantages. I always think in business, when you're in the restaurant industry or food business, yeah, there's a relatively simple model that restaurants use. Well, a lot of restaurateurs don't actually know that this is the model, but it is, which is that overhead is about 30%. Mm. You bring in a dollar. Labor is about 30%. And food cost is about 30%. Mm. If you are doing exceptional, which hardly anybody does. Yeah. Those are very hard numbers to hit. Yeah, That only leaves you 10%. Mm. 50% is going to taxes. Yeah. And then you're left, on the best case scenario, you're left with five cents on the dollar. Yeah. And that's a, again, hardly anybody hits that. It's a tough, it's a tough thing to hit, Wow, you know? So, um, but our business, one of the nice things is, is that our food cost we can control because I know how, how many people are in the class. I know exactly how many steaks I need tonight. Mm. I know exactly how many heads of broccoli I need tonight. Yeah. So there's, we don't have the waste that a restaurant has. Mm. Um, so it helps us control our margins yeah. a little bit better than a restaurant has an opportunity to do. And mm -hmm. it allows us to spend more money on our staff, yeah. which we do. Certainly. Looking into um, potential opportunities for the chopping block, what is, I don't know if you have like a plan in like next five years, maybe even next 10 years, like what would that picture look like? More expansion in another store? I know, I know you can touch on retail too, because you, that's a huge part of what you guys do. Yeah, well, our retail is really a smaller part of our business at this point in time. Yeah. Um, alcohol, uh, wine, and spirits are really a big part of our business, and those that programming classes are also a big part of our business, which we love. Mm. You know, and I'm not sure if you're aware in Cameron or not, but uh, I sold the the location to our executive chef this last year. Okay, no, I, I actually still, didn't. yeah, I I I still own the brand. Yeah, and I still own the building. But Lisa Counts, our executive chef, she runs the day-to-day -day of that location. And part of that stemmed from, which is an important point, yeah. um, I, uh, when we expanded, I had built this facility in Michigan where I live mm -hmm. to build an online business Yeah, and to get out of the day-to-day -day so that you know, I've been working for years to try to make sure that I was not involved in the day-to-day -day of the business so that I could grow the business. Yeah. And when the pandemic happened and then uh, we lost our lease at the Merchandise Mart and we're down to the one location, mm. um, it just didn't make sense with the scope of that business for me. And I was not going to move back to Chicago Yeah. Uh, because nothing about that really worked for my life. And so, and you uh, have probably met Lisa. I think you've taken a class yeah. or yeah. met her. She's, you know what a dynamo she is. Yeah. She's really fantastic. So um, I wanted her to stay and be, you know, um, be the next generation of the chopping block. So for me, the next, my part in it is really what do I do with the brand? Mm. Which is a very interesting place. So I licensed the name back to Lisa. Yep. And... Uh, you know, so my intention right now is to do some different things. So I plan on doing, I'm starting to doing some executive chef consulting up in Michigan where I live. Mm. Um, and then, but eventually Lisa and I hope to collaborate on other projects. Yeah. Um, and I may do some solo projects, but it would be, you know, more of taking our um, brand and um, doing books or educational or online types of programming um, 
but uh, taking what we've learned and documenting that and getting mm. that out in different formats is really where I think we're heading. Yeah. Lisa may want to, which she has the right to do, open other locations in the Chicagoland area. Mm. But I don't see, foresee myself opening a location up in this area yeah. at this time. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, yeah, from my point of view, just I found about the chopping block first. A few months ago, I went with my corporate company and we went with our leadership team. And it's such an amazing experience. It's like you're bringing together a group of people. You have to collaborate on one key theme. And it's kind of like that with anything you do in life and business is collaborating on this one meal. And it's really it unites teams like that's why I can see how your corporate side of the business has done so well. Um, looking at the chopping block in the past just couple of years, even today, um, how do you see um, the diversification between like corporate individuals, families coming in? What percentages of the business are those sectors? Well, I still think we're we're largely corporate clients. Yeah. So Fortune 500 companies. Yeah. But we are doing more of our um, bridal showers birthday parties at our Lincoln Square facility mm. um, than we did in the past. And I think part part of that stems from the fact that corporations are less interested in that Lincoln Square location than our um, merchandise mart facility. Yeah. That seems like, a, you know, way out in the suburbs or something like that, <laughs> you know. But uh, so there's we have more bandwidth to do those things. And we have a smaller uh, footprint. Yeah. So, um, uh, that suits itself really well to those, those kinds of clients. Certainly. Um, so we're, I, I'm not sure the exact percentage of that, but you know, yeah. we're definitely seeing growth in that area. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, I, I do like to wrap up each episode with this. I mean, such an amazing journey, uh, 1997 launch. If you can share one piece of advice with an aspiring entrepreneur, maybe something you've learned or regret along the way. What would you say that would be? You know, um, I, you know, I think to me, you know, I'm somebody who I like to think about, um, you know, long term, as I mentioned before. Yeah. So um, I like to think that most people really kind of need to know where they're going. Um, where, how do you connect your personal life with your business mm. and bridge them because I know in my bit it took me a long time to figure out how do I satisfy my own personal desires and needs as a person yeah and grow my company because I was often doing that at the expense of myself mm. um, and I did a whole Excel spreadsheet. <laughs> I put all the numbers together. I put in my age, how, I, how, where and what I wanted to be doing at a particular time, and I connected all the dots. And that really, that really helped me um, later in my entrepreneurial career. Earlier in my entrepreneurial career, I think what helped me the most was certainly had a passion for my business, which it takes a lot of drive yeah. to get through all the, the, the difficult times. Yeah. Um, but I also think it was not really listening to people um, mm. where I know a lot of people, they always want me to go and say, go see what such and such says or some, somebody says or somebody says, I, I, you know, I don't really care. Yeah. <laughs> Quite yeah. frankly, 
I want to have my original, you know, I think your original thoughts come from you. Yeah. Um, certainly I want advice on, on lots of different components of business. Don't get me wrong. But in terms of, I, I usually think when people don't exactly understand what kind of, what I'm working on, I'm up to something. Mm, yeah. I love that. Because, because it's, it's kind of an, it's an original idea that yeah. people don't really know what to do with it. Yep. And I, I've heard that I've listened to quite a few of your um, shows and I have heard that a lot in what people were we're doing mm. there. They have these interesting concepts that I, I imagine at their inception, people are like, what yeah. are you talking about? <laughs> I've never heard of that. So true. It's, it's a silly thing to think about, but I cannot tell you how many years people just had no idea what you were talking about when you said a recreational cooking yeah. class. Yeah, for they sure. They still don't know entirely, but they just <laughs> can't wrap their head around what that could be. <laughs> for sure. For sure. Well, that's amazing. Um, Shelly, thank you so much for joining me today. And to the listeners out there, uh, make sure to check out The Chopping Block at thechoppingblock.com. And then also, just from my own experience, I just a personal endorsement. You guys, if you can go to one of their locations, it's such an incredible experience. So, Shelly, again, thank you so much. Hey, thank you for listening to this episode of Starting Small. If you would, Leave a review on whatever platform you're listening on. Also, follow Starting Small on social platforms and make sure to subscribe to our email so you don't miss anything on Starting Small Summit, more podcast episodes, or our online blog. You can find that link in this description.